It's time to get out your golden shovels full of burials, or of course, get with the vault with Scrooge McDuck, in which I throw Jorge into the vault. It's time for us to deep dive into Money in the Bank matches for our next installment of TDT's Classic Series on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. That was really good, Ross. You know, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I quoted one of our more famous episodes, that being the Darth Vader episode, where the audio failed and I threatened to throw you in the Scrooge McDuck pool of gold in which, in real life, you would break your neck and not swim in it like the cartoon. But it is fitting for this type of pay-per-view because we are talking about money, and it is in somewhat of a bank. But is it shouty what you drank? I don't know. That being said, we are talking about our next installment of TDT's classic series here on the Double Turn Podcast. It's Boss Ross and the J-Man. My goodness, another week has flown by in this crazy world that we live in, and yet we are here once again bringing you the best wrestling content possible on this fine show. J-Man, how are you, sir? Hey, Roswell. You know, I'm just hanging out, chilling, relaxing all cool. I haven't been shooting some b-ball outside of the school, but uh, not because I don't want to, but because I'm not allowed. Um, that being and not so much, I'm just not that good at basketball, but I do love the sport, and damn it, I'm ready for it to come back very soon. Uh, I'm doing great. It's uh, nice to see you, as always. Um, you're growing out your beard. Uh, it looks thicker than last week, for whatever it's probably reason. I it's probably because I haven't shaved in a week, because, you fair, know, fair enough. this whole thing has got me lazy. Or, well, well, yeah. Or, or lazier than usual. So. <laughs> I didn't say that. You did. Let's clarify. It's, it's okay. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the way things fire on this show. We're shooting from the hip, not Vince Russo style. That would be horrible booking. This is true. On this show, on this show we started an idea last week, and we wanted to uh, roll with it for another week. And actually, we're probably just going to keep rolling with it because... Well, the J-Man and I have uh, actually mostly the J-Man, and I've essentially approved it. Not saying that I, that you need my approval, but I'm saying that the J-Man has come up with a couple of really good ideas that I was just like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's just do it. So we started with an idea last week. We called it TDT's Classic Series, in which we deep dive back into the vault of the WWE Network. By the way, this is not a show. This is simply just saying how good of a product it is. You should definitely invest if you are a wrestling fan, particularly if you are a WWE wrestling fan, just to look back at stuff that's happened, you know, in the more recent past or even deep diving as we do uh, in this series where we take a look back at matches from 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, which we're going to get more into as well. So this week we decided to uh, basically go in with the Money in the Bank theme because that pay-per-view is uh, on the horizon mm-hmm. for WWE. Um, as of this moment, it is taking place in Stamford, Connecticut at ta- their building? That is correct. It is taking place at WWE headquarters. Okay. So they have a very unique Money in the Bank. Another, uh, another year we're going to look back on in the world of wrestling and I don't know if we're going to look back on it fondly, but they're having a very unique Money in the Bank match in which we're going to have people, you know, climbing up staircases in a building and reaching the roof to be the Money in the Bank winner. I'm yeah. sure we're going to look back on it very strangely, much like a lot of other things that are going on with no crowds, people winning titles. Um, just in general, the whole landscape of wrestling has been weird. So before we deep dive into what we're specifically talking about with Money in the Bank, let's give our cheap plugs for this fine program that for those of you that are listening to us for the first time 
we welcome you. We hope that you deep dive back into our vault of stuff that we have. We're about to tell you where you can find all those. The Double Turn Podcast you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, CastBox, Pocket Cast, the Anchor app. My man. Took him a year and a half. So proud. On the first time. Well, it's it's basically if I do it in certain, you know, duos, then I'm fine. Uh, You can also find great content. The Double Turn Podcast on Instagram. My man Jorge is killing it over there. Love the work you do. Keep up the good work, sir. Um, I've, I've essentially just had him take full charge on that and you've been awesome with it. Please go check that out. Uh, there's just, there's just lots of good stuff over there. Um, you can also find us on our personal Instagram pages, the one and only J man 19, Ross, the real boss 85. You can also find me on Twitter at boss Ross TDT in which I pretty much specifically just do live tweeting for the pay-per-view. Are you going to do live tweeting for money in the bank? That is the plan. Okay. Although. Uh, again, with my scheduling, and I know I've brought this up at least 700 times, and I apologize. But well, this is 701. Schedule, right. So essentially, um, it is my goal to live tweet, but essentially on pay-per-view nights, because I have to be up at 3.30 in the morning on Monday, it very well might be that the pay-per-view ends and I go to bed. Um, so hopefully there are no super late starting shows. No, um, I don't think so. I think that uh, the good thing is that we've entered – the time of the year um, around the world where obviously the clocks got turned back. Not that we get affected by it, but the shows that we watch get affected by it. So we have the luxury of being on the West Coast, which means Money in the Bank will start at 4 o'clock our time, which should be meaning that it's over by between 7 and 7.30, the latest 8. So basically what I would suggest to you, and you know this, is... Obviously, just be ready to be in bed and brush your teeth. And as soon as it's over, you turn off the TV, not, uh, lights out. Right. That was well, a snoring snap. that noise, but yes, I, I, I get what you mean. So, uh, so that is the plan for Money in the Bank. We do have a little bit of news also that I want to interject before we start. This is not a long news segment like last week because last week there were releases. And, of course, we had Howard Finkel last week. So we promised you guys that if there was not a lot of news, we wouldn't spend a ton of time on it. But there is news that happened today, and that is that Double or Nothing AEW's installment of Double or Nothing 2020, which is taking place on May the 23rd. It was supposed to be taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada. That, of course, is not happening because, well, the Strip is still closed in Las Vegas. Plus, Nevada has their own uh, status when it comes to COVID-19. And so that had to be moved. It is now official. AEW Double or Nothing on May the 23rd, 2020 is moving to Daly's in Jacksonville, Daly's Place in uh, Jacksonville, uh, because, of course, Florida is opening their doors to uh, have wrestling essentially be an essential business. And so they are allowing them. Of course, there'll be no fans. Um, It'll essentially just be a different venue of what's been happening on Dynamite which is that there are still people that are working there. They just have it with no fans. So that is still taking place. Um, and I'm sure it will go off just like any other regular pay-per-view, except for the fact that there are no fans in the building. So um, there will be the finals of the TNT championship. Uh, Moxley will, of course, be defending his title at that show. Um, and there's actually been some really good stuff happening on AEW um, despite the fact that NXT has actually been beating them in the ratings recently, but I don't know if that's really a. They uh, did. They lost. They lost. They lost this week again. Okay, uh, NXT okay. did. Yeah, AEW took the lead back. Okay, so it was two weeks in a row, and then AEW beat them. Okay, yeah. the point is that I don't know if it's a symptom of 
people are kind of taking a break from wrestling because pretty much across the board are down, although you can make the argument that ratings in general are not. Yeah, but you can definitely tell that uh, you can definitely tell that the world of professional wrestling, which you would have thought it wouldn't have hurt. I mean, WrestleMania was not hurting. WrestleMania got the biggest, what do you call it, the the biggest shares on social media ever for anything, right. which was incredible and 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 so awesome. But um, obviously, on a television standpoint, Monday Night Raw and SmackDown have both suffered. I mean, the last two weeks, Raw hit under two million, and the crazy thing is. Raw's not been bad. Raw's been putting out great content in the three-hour span. And SmackDown has been putting out two great content for the two-hour span on Fox. And it's just... I'm not going to say it's surprising, but I am... It is interesting to see that NXT and AEW Dynamite are holding their ground with the same amount of viewers. But Raw and SmackDown have really been hurting on the that their front. The only thing I can imagine, Ross, is because they are on... Bigger nights of the week, and on in particular Fox uh, for SmackDown. I'm I'm maybe thinking that maybe because ABC and NBC hell tonight. I'm sure that SmackDown's really going to be hurting because it's night two of the NFL draft, and people are definitely going to be watching that. And if I'm not mistaken, last night night one was on ABC. I mentioned this because last week, for example, ABC had this like Disney sing along thing. Where they got a bunch of celebrities together, and I'm not saying it's the same night of the week, but you'll you're seeing the major networks get creative with their content because obviously there's no new episodes of their normal shows airing, and it might be hurting uh, WWE on their major networks, um, right. which is interesting because NXT is on the same network as Monday Night Raw, but again, Monday as compared to even though Wednesday's still a big night of the week. But NXT just doesn't have the normal viewership that Monday Night Raw gets. Monday Night Raw gets more than double the viewership that uh, NXT would get anyways. But I think that's why you're starting to see it a little bit more. Because there there's such a big gap between NXT and Raw and SmackDown anyways. That that's probably why you're seeing it more. I'll be interested to see how the AEW pay-per-view does. Because they don't have a network that broadcasts all of their pay-per-views if you subscribe to their network like i do um i get all of the pay-per-views by spending 9.99 a month and i get all the content and everything like that so i'll be interested to see how the aew uh pay-per-view numbers do um in general when it comes to um when it comes to their show so by the way also quick update for those of you that have been following uh where i am tracking on my uh, journey through WCW Nitro and Thunder. I am presently at the end of May 2000, in which we're about to uh, we're about to see the infamous David Flair versus Ric Flair match. Yes, and of course the uh, Human Torch match between Sting and Vampiro. So I, match that's going to be. I, also, also, also Billy Kidman and Hulk Hogan in an official pay per view match. Wow. You yes, know that Billy Kidman was really firing on all cylinders for him to be in the same ring with Hulk Hogan in 2000, that's for sure. Uh, yes. I, I figured and you'd appreciate course, the this. the original chosen one, Jeff Jarrett, was the WCW champion. So, And by the way, on my journey, there are less... It, I'm now at the point where I am less than a year left before WCW officially died. Yeah, this is true. Um, what How I, is that? It is very sad. It is very sad. You know, there are days I do miss WCW. I think AEW being back, it makes me miss well, the heavy hitter they company. They were, you know, and it's just, you know, you hear Tony Fischiavani and, um, and you see, De- and you see De- guys like Dean Malenko and, uh, 
those old WCW thoroughbreds that came over to WWF because they got tired of the BS that was going on over in WCW, WCW anyway. Um, so seeing them be on the same TV network of their old wrestling company just, you know, it makes the, the heart grow fonder. It really does. And um, sure. what I was going to say was um, do you, on Instagram, I, I'm giving them a cheap plug, but I like them so much and I'm very happy that they're back on Instagram because they were gone for a minute. Um, you remember Pipe Bomb News? Yes. Yeah. So they're back. Their their Instagram page yeah. is now Pipe Bomb News underscore. Um, I don't know what happened to the original Pipe Bomb News Instagram page, but it's back. And uh, today, twenty years ago, was Diamond Dallas Page versus Jeff Jarrett for the WCW title in a steel cage match on Monday Nitro. Yes. So uh, just a, a very quick background on that because I'm you just WCW watched it. Two thousand aficionado. Yes, I did just watch it yeah. recently. So it was uh, Paige had just been screwed over by his wife at the pay-per-view of Spring Stampede, which would have been a couple of weeks prior to that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this is when David Arquette, yes, the actor David Arquette, uh, beat Eric Bischoff in a match to get Diamond Dallas Page a match versus Jeff Jarrett in a steel cage for the world title in which uh, Diamond Dallas Page won the match. And then uh, I believe it was the I believe it was that Thunder is where Arquette pinned Eric Bischoff to win Diamond Dallas Page's WCW title. That then Arquette screwed over Page to help Jarrett regain the title at the Triple Cage used in the movie Ready to Rumble at Slamboree. Did you follow all that? This is why WCW 2000 was absolutely horrid trash. And 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 yet I still make the uh, I still make the comment of WCW 1999 is when it sucked and they were still trying WCW 2000 they stopped trying and it was hilarious. And then 2001 was when they got good again and then they closed their doors three months in because yes, Vinnie Mac it's offered a remarkable. It's actually remarkable if you look from about for like for like a 15 month span between late 99 and early 2000 and past three months of WCW in 2001. They were starting to do some really good things, and then the bottom fell out, and they sold to Vince McMahon. Right. So, that is our journey through WCW 2000 for the week. <laughs> as, our, as our show topic for this week has absolutely nothing to do with it. However, Money in the Bank uh, was a concept uh, that, well, in storyline was Chris Jericho's idea. Um, there, there have been a lot of crazy ideas for match. Some of them have worked. Some of them have not. Some of them have lasted and have withstood the test of time. Others have outgrown their usefulness. Um, Money in the Bank started off as a very interesting, cool, different idea and twist to a ladder match. They decided at WrestleMania 21 that in the middle of the match they were to give... Basically, a bunch of guys who, or most of the guys that were in that match, um, an opportunity to try and win a briefcase for a shot at the world champion. Uh, now, of course, the rules were not really at the time, and of course, they would be taken advantage of, given the fact of when you could cash in, who you can cash in on. Um, basically, the only rule was you had one year to cash it in. Because at the time, the event was held at WrestleMania every year. So you had from the night you won it until WrestleMania night the next year to cash in. 
Um, and so that was essentially the premise. So they left it open-ended. They kind of left it to the whims of whatever. And ever since WrestleMania 21, we had Money in the Bank ladder matches at WrestleMania until, was it 2010 was the first Money in the Bank? WrestleMania 26 in 2010 was the last Money in the Bank ladder match at WrestleMania. And then two months later, they did a Money in the Bank match for the WWE Championship as well as the World Heavyweight Championship at the pay-per-view name Money in the Va- Money in the Bank which happened in June of 2010. So there was three Money in the Bank ladder matches in the year 2010. Kind of a weird move. I think I probably would have just said just do the first one in 2011 which they ended up doing two matches that year, one for Raw and one for SmackDown. Just a little hint, we're going to talk about one of them. But essentially in this series, because Money in the Bank is coming up and they're doing a unique twist on it this year, Jorge and I decided to look back at what matches worked, Mm -hmm. what matches didn't work, um, what matches have kind of withstood the test of time when it comes to the Money in the Bank match, which other ones maybe shouldn't have been Money in the Bank matches. Or, of course, we also looked at winners. We looked at where they were placed on the card. Let me tell you, when we looked through these matches that we finally got down to three, as this is our second installment of TDT's Classic Series, which, of course, the first week we took a look at the AJ Styles-John Cena feud. That would be Money in the Bank 2016, SummerSlam 2016, and Royal Rumble 2017. So that was the first installment. If you want to go check that out, it is on last week's episode. Great episode. We've gotten some really good feedback on it. And uh, it helped us really launch that this was a great idea that we wanted to stick to. As I continue to essentially uh, get through what I'm trying to get to when it comes to this, because, uh, you know, just trying to get everybody to, you know, come listen to our show because we're awesome and, you know, all that we're the stuff. best freaking wrestling uh, podcast on this damn planet. I'll flat out say it. Ross is trying to be politically correct. I say, no, we, we are so, good and we are great. Sorry. So when we, when we looked back, the J-Man and I looked at each other and said, okay, let's see if we can consensus pick the three best Money in the Bank matches. So right away, one of them was absolutely no question. And then we kind of had to piecemeal the other two together, or basically what ended up happening was I picked one, J-Man picked one, and then we both picked one. That's kind of how we did it this week. Don't know if we're going to do that going forward, but we basically just talked out and said, okay, do we both like these matches? And we're putting it up as suggestion. Mm. So the three matches that we picked for the money in the or the or the best money in the bank matches that we're going to discuss today and compare, contrast, and then rank for this series because that's what we do. We picked the very first one, the very first money in the bank match, which happened at WrestleMania 21. Which, by the way, was at a very weird part of the card. When I look back at that show, I'm like, that happened in a very bizarre part of the card. Yeah. I understand because it's the very first one, and they yeah. kind of had to put that in a weird spot. True, but... Okay, so so you guys know, these are the three matches that we're ranking this evening. Ross just stated... I was getting there. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I interrupted, and I figured I'd keep the flow going, and so I I, I, I didn't mean to interject. I'm sorry. I screwed this all up, and I'm not going to be able to so do we- that. <laughs> So we picked so we picked WrestleMania 21, mm-hmm. that Money in the Bank ladder match. We picked the SmackDown 2011 Money in the Bank ladder match, and then we picked the 2016 Money in the Bank ladder match. Of course, 
Spoiler alert, in case you wanted to know, the very first one that happened at WrestleMania 21 was won by Edge. The 2011 SmackDown one was won by Daniel Bryan. And then the 2016 one was won by Dean Ambrose, now known as the AEW World Champion, John Moxley. So my, so my entire point was that WrestleMania 21, the Money in the Bank ladder match was not the opener, not the semi-main. It was the second match on the card. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's a weird little fact that I put out there because I would think that a debut match, it's at WrestleMania. Of course, we're going to get into how great the match was because it was. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing to me that they decided, you know what? Let's open the show with Ray versus Eddie, and then let's do a crazy ladder match involving six people. It was just, it was, now, I'm not taking anything away from Ray and Eddie. I'm not. But in that sense, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a Ray-Eddie match and then have the Money in the Bank ladder match. I think they could have much better positioned the front part of that card to make it so that, hey, there's a Ray-Eddie match that's going to be a really good wrestling match, and then we're going to have a spot fest, in which I have no time to actually calm down from the fact that I just watched a good wrestling match. I think it was one of those things where back in 2005, you know, the SmackDown Raw thing was really heavy, right? Um, Because it was in the middle of the Ruthless Aggression era, and that's, you know, they were really sticking to Raw doing this one thing and SmackDown doing this other thing, and WrestleMania would try and one and then the other and then one and then the other and they would you would very rarely see a pay-per-view would you where you would see two raw true excuse me two raw matches in a row and two smackdown matches in a row and i think maybe at wrestlemania 21 what they came to the conclusion of was they couldn't really maybe necessarily find because here's the thing the wrestlemania 21 card i think people a lot, a lot of people forget wrestlemania 21 was stacked to the gills the Money in the Bank ladder match we're discussing, but let's not forget about the fact that WrestleMania 21 also had the greatness that was Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels. And then it also had the greatness that was um, the first Triple H-Batista match, which in itself is not a good match, but the fact that Batista was so over and Triple H was so hated, it made it a warrant the main event spot, as did John Cena versus JBL. JBL, the most... I mean, you could make a case who was more hated in 2005, JBL or Triple H, right? And then you could make the case who of who was more loved, John Cena or Batista. And so both of those matches were going to be the main and semi-main. And then you had to figure out where you wanted to place HBK and Shawn Michaels. And then it came down to we can't put the ladder match at the beginning because how, t- how tired are people going to be for a match like Eddie versus Ray? Whereas, even though people were going to be... I think Eddie versus Ray was a good way to get people warmed up. And then it was like, hey, we got you warmed up. Now get ready because crash, crashes galore are about to happen in this ladder match. You know what I'm saying? I only mention that because in the 2011 match, mm-hmm. the SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match was the opener. Correct. And in 2016, the Money in the Bank ladder match, which was only one match because it was only one title at the time, that was in the semi-main, or essentially the semi-main, because the main event was Roman 
Reigns versus Seth Rollins. Of course, we all know what happened after that match in which all three Shield members held the uh, WWE World Heavyweight title in the same night. That's what they were going for, so I understand the booking of that. I just found it interesting that we look back very fondly on some Money in the Bank matches, and the one at WrestleMania 21 was just oddly placed. I just had to mention that before we deep dive into it. Totally understand. That is the first... That is the first match that uh, I think we should get into. Not that uh, not that we're going essentially in order of what we think of the matches. We'll get to that later. But essentially, I just kind of want to go in uh, this order. Essentially, it's, it's chronologically. So 2005 was a very unique time for WWE. Essentially, the, the merging of the WWE and WCW, of course, had been long over. The invasion had already happened. And so now that we are in prime ruthless session we're in prime you know reign of terror we're in prime just lots of just stars that we would see for the better part of the next decade were being formed in this era mm-hmm. we were seeing and of course you know there were already established stars in this era but i mean you were seeing the rise of john cena and batista we had already seen the rise of guys like chris jericho and chris benoit and guys solidifying themselves as just complete superstars kurt angle kane and of course we still had guys that were still finding themselves the jbl heel character had really come to life over this era we had seen the complete explosion of guys like shelton benjamin and some of these other people that were in these matches by the way you didn't even you didn't even mention randy orton randy orton as well and the only reason i didn't mention him here is because randy orton's not in this match i did i did just recently mention edge because Edge is another character that mm-hmm. truly broke out. And, of course, we saw all the great feuds uh, that Edge had, particularly with John Cena. Of course, I'm very um, I'm very biased towards the fact that uh, the Edge and John Cena feud will still go down as one of the best feuds ever. Um, I may even make the argument that it may be the best feud of that time period in general, or at least it's in the top three for me. Because of how heated and how just believable that feud was. There was a lot of chemistry um, between those two. Well, it, it doesn't hurt when you've got two guys that essentially are two of the stalwarts of that company for the better part of that time period for WWE. Um, unfortunately, Edge had to retire early. It was awesome to see him back at WrestleMania 36. I hope it means that we get to see more of him. Hopefully he gets to uh, really come off of his performance at WrestleMania 36. But I only mention Edge because he was in this match, and we will finally start really getting into this, and that is that this match, WrestleMania 21, Money in the Bank, of course, 2005, the participants in this match were Edge, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Christian, Kane, and Shelton Benjamin. Now I have to tell you, that this being the first match and you look at the talent that's in this ring and I spoke to Jorge before we started and I told him is there at any point in any of these three matches do I look at a guy being in the match and be like that guy's out of place and I can make the argument for all three matches that every competitor in every match deserved to be there that'll be more of an issue in the 2011 match because there are going to be some guys that you're going to be like I have no idea who this is, or I didn't know he was even in pro wrestling, or, oh my gosh, he's become completely opposite of where he was back in 2011. So in, in, in this match, you had legitimately, at this time, 
Chris Jericho was a star. Chris Benoit was a star. Edge was still mostly known as a tag team guy. Christian was still mostly known as a tag team guy. Of course, you had Kane. And then you had the guy that everybody thought was going to be a big star at this point, and that's Shelton Benjamin. I think a lot of people thought that Shelton Benjamin was going to take the next step. At this point in, in his career, he had had, actually by this point, had he already had the feud with Evolution and Triple H? Had that already happened by 2005? Yeah, because he would have feuded with Randy Orton for the Intercontinental Championship the year prior. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so look, um, with top talent. He beat Triple H clean on Raw. Uh, If I remember correctly, didn't Shelton Benjamin pin him three times that year? Something ridiculous. So basically what I'm saying is, if you're in a program with Triple H during that time period, you're a big deal. And when you're put in this situation and you're trusted with putting on the... Because by the way... WWE put a lot of faith in these six guys to make this a good match. I don't know if they ever expected it to become a pay-per-view named after it, but I do know that had this match sucked, this may have been a one-off, and they might not have ever done this again. So it was very important for this match to be good, and uh, as I've basically said a lot of times on this show, boy howdy was this a barn burner. I have to tell you, I watched this back for the first time in years, course i i do love wrestlemania 21 for the things that came out of it john cena batista finally the end of triple h as the world heavyweight champion the annoyance that was jbl the greatness that was the big show akebono sumo match just kidding so <laughs> kurt angle and hbk was it, it re, it's oh. really it's so good kurt angle and hbk in a submission match at wrestlemania 21 i kid you not is one of the more forgotten matches that i do not hear enough people talk about it's disrespect everything else that happened no but but here's the thing right you had this great ladder match mm-hmm. you had john cena and batista both becoming world champions that were going to be the face of the company mm-hmm. the kurt angle Shawn michaels match was going to get lost on this card and it's unfortunate please go back and watch that match as i take another diversion from t- talking about this match and i apologize i just get in the mode of the fact that i'm so excited to be doing these because it allows me it allows jorge and it allows all of you to go and re-watch these matches and kind of experience it all over again and so if you're if you're wondering why i sound so excited and kind of rambling and i know that i've been told that my rambling is good on this podcast and that's fine as is yours we've got that compliment too this match had to had to knock it out of the park and so, and by the way, this match was only given like 15 minutes. When we think ladder matches with like six and eight guys, you normally don't think 15 minutes. But I have to tell you, everything about this match had purpose. Everything. And that's, and that's what stuck out to me the most. And, and, and I'll be getting your thoughts here in just a second. But I wanted to launch off on that. And that is that a lot of these matches have been called spot fests. Or just, you know, hey, let's do a bunch of stunts with, you know, ladders and tables and chairs. Oh, my. Like, let's just make it a stunt fest where there's a million moves and then eventually somebody climbs a ladder and wins. And by the way, some of those Money in the Bank matches are exactly that. And if that's your thing, that's fine. But for me, when I rewatched this match, I looked at legitimately everything that happened in the 15 plus minutes this was. Everything had purpose. Every guy knew their role. 
every guy had their spot. I didn't feel like this match was, well, there's four guys on the floor waiting for their turn to do a spot, which unfortunately Money in the Bank has become. It's basically a couple guys doing spots in the ring and then everybody else waiting. I never felt that way in this match because I always felt like all six guys, including Tyson Tomko at ringside, so that would be seven, I felt like all six guys felt like they were fighting to win a match. That makes it more believable. That makes it so that you're in the zone. You're never taken out of the the show, the actual match that is presented in front of you. As a fan, I was never taken out of that match going, wow, there's nothing going on. I never felt that with this match. And that's why, to me, it stands out as a match from a Money in the Bank standpoint that really should be shown to Money in the Bank matches going forward of when sometimes less is more. I I agree. I think, wow, that was... I mean, that's not even fair that I have to go on after that, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, listen, the Money in the Bank match at WrestleMania 21, um, when I rewatched it earlier this week, uh, I, I, I was watching it, and the one thing that really stood out to me, as opposed to any of the other Money in the Bank matches, and this is not a detriment to the other ones, it just maybe because of the style and the people who were involved in this match, potentially... Because you've got, let me let me think for one second. There were six people in this match, correct? Correct. One, two, three, four. Four of them, actually, unfortunately not. Three of them are beyond surefire Hall of Famers. One of them already is. Edge is already a Hall of Famer. Christian's going to be a Hall of Famer. Kane's going to be a Hall of Famer. And then the other three, Chris Jericho is not going to go into the WWE Hall of Fame anytime soon because of his association with All Elite Wrestling, and that's it is what it is. Um, Shelton Benjamin, not sure if he's a Hall of Famer, and then probably not. Prob- maybe not. Maybe he is. I think you have to look at it as an entire body of work with the world's greatest tag team. And then, for all intents and purposes, everybody knows the exact reason why Chris Benoit is never going to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, but you look at these guys, and what they did was present story, which is really hard to do in a ladder match. Uh, in particular, when you've got two of the all-time greatest performers in a ladder match ever involved in this particular match. I'm talking about Edge and Christian, obviously. Uh, great, One of the top three greatest tag teams in pro wrestling history. Not WWE history, pro wrestling history, period. They won... They won the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania 2000. They won TLC 1 at SummerSlam 2000. They won TLC 2 at WrestleMania 17. Uh, I mean, let's be real. These guys know how to make a ladder match be special. But, you know, for a guy whose main crazy spot is a spear in the middle of the air to Jeff Hardy twice, for this match to be so storyline driven on his behalf was very surprising and in a way if you are a person who likes his ladder matches or her ladder matches um being those spot fests i mean i do i really do uh, don't get me wrong i love storyline too but when it comes to a match like this you do love the car crashes and the psycho psychoticness of a SummerSlam powerbomb through a through a ladder 
you, you just do. You, you can almost view this match in a way, in a small, small way, a little boring. And then you remember that Chris Jericho, Edge, Christian, Shelton Benjamin, Benoit, and Kane went to town on one another. On top of giving you great storyline. And that's something that's really hard to do. And I'm not giving this match praise because it's the original. I'm giving this match praise because it really deserves it. Um, I'll give you a great... I mean, the original 60-minute Iron Man match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels is great only because it's the original and because they were able to go 68... Or, I'm sorry, what was it? 62 minutes without a pinfall. Like, they ta- that takes crazy stamina and that cra- t- it takes crazy skill. But don't be fooled into thinking that it's an all-time great match because it's an all-time great match. That match is boring as hell. And I'm just, and I'm not being disrespectful to the WrestleMania 12 main event, but I'm gonna be honest, that match is boring as hell, especially compared to when you watch The Rock versus Triple H in 60 minutes, Chris Benoit and Triple H in 60 minutes, and when you watch Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle in 60 minutes. This match was not, and it it's a testament to you said everybody knowing their role, but also. The types of guys that you would have never imagined being so great in a ladder match, being so great in a ladder match. When you're seven foot one, 310 pounds, and you are by far the biggest dude in the match by inches and by at least 60 pounds, you have no way of really making yourself be good in a high spot situation. I'm talking about Kane. Except... Kane does that exactly to a T. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, you know, he can be chokeslamming people in through tables and through ladders. But that's not all that Kane did to make himself be so great in not just this match, but also in the match that he won in 2010. And then he also participated in the 2011 match that we're going to discuss right after this. You know, Kane, if I'm not mistaken, is he the one that's participated in the most Money in the Bank ladder matches? I think that's a fact. I believe that's correct. Yeah. You know, so for somebody who is of that size and has that certain style, but then can adapt himself to be a high, just think to yourself for a second, a seven foot high flyer. That's scary. That is scary. And And does not get enough credit for the work he does. And by the way, just just to briefly interject, Mm -hmm. you said it. You said it right on the head, and that is that you know Kane could have looked like a total fish out of water in this match. And he doesn't. Let me tell you something. In this match, with all the talent, you've got guys like Shelton Benjamin and Chris Jericho and Edge and Christian and Chris Benoit. By the way, all those guys, even though some of them had had more success in WWE as a singles competitor by this point, all these guys had something to prove. And to me, in a ladder match like this, you need somebody that's going to be the powerhouse of the match. I'm not saying they have to slow the match down, but just like in almost any other match, the match has to be sped up, it has to be slowed down. And Kane played his role of being the powerhouse and slowing things down and saying, oh, somebody crazy is going to jump off a ladder. And Kane just either kicks them in the face or chokeslams them with one hand. It was tremendous. Exactly. Please continue. No, no, it's all good. I think you hit the nail right on the head with that. And So so one more thing I wanted to add was... Please. And this, is, and this is a theme of actually all three of these matches. And that is when you have a ladder match or a gimmick match whether it be Royal Rumble or a ladder match or, you know, basically anything that is not a one-on-one match 
in general, like triple threat, fatal four way, a gimmick match, there still needs to be a story outside of it being the match. The story cannot be it's a ladder match. Right. The story is is that these guys are trying to win a trying to win a briefcase. But this story was Chris Benoit had been totally screwed over by evolution because he had won the title. Orton had beaten him. Triple H won the title back. And then basically Benoit got iced out of ever really getting another shot at this point in late 2004, early 2005. So this was his shot to get back into that conversation. You had Edge, who had been slowly but surely becoming that ultimate opportunist character. He had just turned heel like four months prior. Correct. And so in that match, Benoit had taken a very sick bump against his arm. Well, the end of the match, it looks like Benoit's going to win the match. And out of nowhere, Edge just hits his arm with a chair. Not super violently, but it looked violent. It was a good and shot. And he just climbed the ladder. And by the way, this is another key that's going to come out of these matches, right? Especially at this point. Jim Ross sold this like Edge had like stolen something that was like a family heirloom to Chris Benoit. Because Benoit was the man. Benoit was our guy. And Edge came in and just took the briefcase from him. And so that was a big theme of this whole thing. You had Shelton Benjamin really have a real big coming out party with his spot where he ran up the... I mean, he he was incredible. It just, all in all, if you're looking for a Money in the Bank match that's simple, yet fun, yet hits all the criteria you're looking for from top to bottom, and tells a great story, and makes you appreciate the fact that Edge won the first match. That is why it makes our list for the one of the best Money in the Bank ladder matches there was. Now, I agree. Um, I want to, can, can I just say something, one one quick thing, sure. because, you know, I, I maybe he gets too much credit, but I think it's it's worthy of said credit. I, I really do want to say that the way that Chris Jericho sold for everybody in this match was absolutely just completely underrated. And I'm not saying, like, he didn't have a chance of winning the match. He absolutely did. But if you look at, um, if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that took the T-bone suplex off the top, uh, off the ladder. Or was that Edge? Uh, that was Edge. That was Edge. You're right. But like, there's other suplex off yes. the ladder is insane. I mean, you know, shout out. By to... By the way, also Benoit did the flying butt onto Kane on top of from the, the very tippy the... top of the ladder. Oh. I'm I'm not here to make. A disrespectful comment, but I'm going to tell you right now, that was one of the shots that rattled Chris Benoit's brain. I'm dead serious when I say that, and it's not meant to be a joke, but he was tw- not he was 15 feet plus his own 5 foot 10 frame. So he is, what, Ross, 21 feet in the air, and then he just falls head first into like the pectoral area of Kane, which is a hard area to fall on, considering that that is a seven foot one, three hundred and ten, like bulked up man. Come on, dude. Like it's just Benoit in uh, in late '99. There was a WCW tournament for the World Heavyweight Title. Not trying to get on a diatribe, but it, it, it fits what you're talking about. He and Malenko had a cage match, mm-hmm. and. Benoit jumped from the top of the cage and did a flying headbutt on top of Malenko to win that match. That was easily like 
30 feet above the ground. Yes. Plus he jumped. Yes. So amongst that kids don't have a flying headbutt as your finisher. Nope. Nope. Don't do it. So, but um, okay. yeah, it's just one of those things. Uh, getting back to Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho sold for everyone in that match and he sold so well. Like it seemed to me that Chris Jericho, his mindset when he walked into the Staples Center that night was not necessarily to put on the best match possible, but to, actually to not just put on the best match possible, but to literally make the other five dudes in that match look like they belonged. And that's saying a lot because you had the guy who just main evented WrestleMania the year before in that match. You don't have to make that guy look any more better than he already does. That guy's that guy is set at the time. Like you knew in 2005 prior to the events of 2007, Chris Benoit was beyond a Hall of Famer. Like Chris Benoit was the wrestler's wrestler. Chris Benoit at that time was the AJ Styles of today. And you could make the case that Chris Benoit might have actually been better than AJ Styles. But that's not a that's not a discussion for today. But it's just that's the mindset of people having of Chris Benoit. Then you had Edge, who was beyond a tag team specialist, but a flat out stud. Chris Christian was a flat out stud. Shelton Benjamin was like the next. How do I put this? I mean, he was the, the next big thing. He, but was, he was a big time blue chipper, as good old JR. There you go. Said. There you go. I was going to say That's he nothing. was he was another coming of Brock Lesnar, who may have actually been a better wrestler than him, maybe, right? And then of course there's, you had Kane. There's 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 a famous there's a very famous story of uh, Brock Lesnar and Shelton Benjamin having a foot race around an arena, and Brock Lesnar was an absolute freak athlete back then. He is he's just more of a monster now but back then in 2002 he was just a freak athlete the only guy that could keep up with brock lesnar was, was shelton benjamin stadiums was shelton benjamin and then so, for those of you who don't know sense. yeah for those of you who don't know shelton benjamin brock lesnar best of friends like it's it's well documented it's it's absolutely a fact well, it does help when you both wrestle at the same school right so. I, I think they wrestled during the same time frame didn't they uh brock was like i think Minnesota. the class of 2000 so Shelton probably – they brought, wouldn't even surprise me if they were on the squad at the same time. The only difference was that they were in two different weight limits. I think Brock was legit heavyweight. And then even though Shelton Benjamin's a little bit smaller, I would have said he's maybe like within – he was probably within that 220, 215. Uh, actually, he probably would have been smaller in college because of uh, – you allowing to be bulked up a little bit more because there's no weight restrictions in professional wrestling. That being said, my point was Chris Jericho's mindset of making sure to look to make the other five guys look like a million trillion bucks and it worked. Chris Jericho deserves all, all of them did all six of them. All six of them, and it's hard to do this, all six of them had a legit shot at winning that briefcase. Even Christian, who, no disrespect to Christian, but you could make the case that he was probably the dude, the bottom feeder of the six, if you will, and he still had uh, a legit see, shot. This was, this was April of 2005. He was gone by November of 2005. Yeah, so he was definitely the bottom feeder, if you will, which is really sad. Um... 
considering he had a pretty good run over the summer when he got traded over to SmackDown. But um, and not to mention the year prior, him and Chris Jericho like had one of the most underrated matches you'll ever witness on a WrestleMania card. And it's really, really strong. It's really good. Um, but yeah, so all in all, as you said, uh, the first ever Money in the Bank ladder match lived up to the hype and it served as the bar. Now, there have been matches that have evolved off of that, but I think that 21 really should hold the special place in most people's heart in most people's hearts that it currently does and it should stay there for a long time. Agree. We move on to our second entry. Oh, by the way, I also want to point out that that was the match that J-Man and I both were on a phone conversation that day and said, yeah, this match has to be on this list because when you think of Money in the Bank ladder matches, the first one at WrestleMania 21 in 2005 has to make the list. Yes. So as we move on to the other two entries, um, the other entry that we, or I should say the next entry that we chose was from the year 2011 uh, version of Money in the Bank. As uh, many of you, or some of you, or maybe none of you, because you're listening to this for the first time, which, by the way, we thank you for checking this show out. Please like and share and check us out on all of our uh, socials and everywhere you listen to this podcast. 2011 Money in the Bank will go down as, uh, well, quite frankly, one of the most famous pay-per-views, maybe of all time. And just to prove to you right now, because I'm on a Zoom video with Jorge... There's my copy of Money in the Bank 2011. Excellent. One of the it's one of the only views I own on DVD. Listen, I have to upgrade to Blu-ray though because it's that great of a pay-per-view and I love it. Listen, Money in the Bank 2011 will go down potentially as the greatest pay-per-view WWE has ever produced, and there are some WWE pay-per-views that are right up there. You got WrestleMania 17. Um, WrestleMania 31 is pretty good, um, but Money in the Bank 2011, and by the way, Money WrestleMania 19 is also fantastic, but Money in the Bank 2011, uh, not to go on a diatribe of what is Money in the Bank 2011, but when you have the greatness of this Money in the Bank that match that we're about to discuss, and then you've got a second Money in the Bank match which did, which did pretty darn well, let's be real. Um, and then you've got a world heavyweight title fight that was a banger, right? And then you've got that WWE title match that some people talk about. I don't even know what it's all about. Of course, you know, the freaking greatness that is John Cena and CM Punk. I'm sorry. I had to kind of like swerve you guys there for a second, but I knew it wouldn't work. Money in the Bank 2011 is, it's, it's precious. That's the you know best, you know, there you go. You know what's really funny? What's that? Because I, 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 I'd kind of forgotten about this at the time, and it just adds to the greatness that is this pay-per-view, mm. and that is that this was the event where Christian won the World Heavyweight title because Randy Orton got disqualified, because it was built into the story, because that was, at the time, I was very annoyed by that feud because I didn't really know what they were doing. But now that I've looked back all these years later, I was like, that was one of the best things they did in 2011. By and far! on this show, on top of the fact you had not one, but two Money in the Bank ladder matches, plus the greatness that was John Cena versus CM Punk, which I will still forever to this day say within the last 10 years is one of the only five-star matches I've seen in the last 10 years. Yes. 
That's my opinion. I know some people, there's a five-star match here and a six-star match here. And a it's different. Here, it's blah, different. Blah, blah, blah. This is, this was, tw- this is, this was peak, how do I put this? This was peak Dave Meltzer WWE hatred. And you knew that in the fiber of his dark soul and his heart that really doesn't even exist, that might be smaller than the Grinches, he hated the fact that he was forcing himself to give Punk and Cena five stars. But he couldn't, he, even he could not deny the beauty and the masterpiece that was that match. And the beauty and masterpiece that is that pay-per-view. No. Jorge and I had a very brief discussion, and basically, I won the argument because, well, I just won the argument. I don't know how else to put it, because we were trying to debate between the SmackDown and the Raw Money in the Bank match. The only thing I had to ask Jorge was, was this the Raw Money in the Bank match where all the guys started with miniature ladders? And he said, yes, this is the one. And I said, the SmackDown one's better, and I'm going to prove it to you. And over the next five minutes, I talked to him on the phone, and at the end of those five minutes, your answer to me was, you're right. That's fair. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, I am not saying the Raw match is bad. By any means am I saying the Raw match is bad. But what I'm saying is, I at least made my argument, and that's why the SmackDown one is on this list. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. So, the SmackDown... 2011 Money in the Bank match had eight people in the match. I think it was the yes, one right. of the biggest ones. There's only been a couple that have had that many people in the match. So uh, both of these ladder matches had eight that year. The one from Raw and the one from SmackDown. They both had eight. Um, I don't know. Basically, every Money in the Bank match has either had six or eight. Se- I, there's I, been I, the 2019 I'm, match had seven. And that was right. because it, it really was eight, and it was Brock Lesnar showing up in the last 20 seconds of that match. Yeah, yeah. That's the less said about that, the better. Well, no, don't the talk. Don't, don't, de-smir- don't be smirch. I'm going to talk about that later. Carry on. Okay. So a couple of things about the 2011 SmackDown match. Okay. SmackDown, I realized that during the Paul Heyman era of SmackDown, it was known as the Land of Opportunity on the, SmackDown. The, the wrestler there was show. Also a very brief, there was also a brief period where SmackDown was known as the Land of Opportunity under Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. That's how we got Jinder Mahal, which, by the way, coming back soon, let's not hit the gender. That's all I'm saying. So this was another time period where SmackDown was in a very unique place. And the reason I say that is because SmackDown had a lot of new blood not a WCW joke, but they did have a lot of new blood on this show in which they could really showcase and essentially appropriately build their up-and-coming stars. What I mean by that is, of the eight people that are in this match, six of them, it was their first Money in the Bank match. The only two guys that had been in Money in the Bank matches before this were Kane, who was on his fifth or sixth at the time, and, and a former Rose, and a former Money in the Bank winner, by the way. Uh, Kane had won the year before, cashed in on the same eight uh, against Rey Mysterio to win the World Heavyweight title that night. So Kane, of course, coming off of winning the event the previous year. Cody Rhodes was was in his gimmick where he had the mask and the paper bags. It was tremendous. I loved it. You also had guys like Daniel Bryan, who wasn't using his really amped up Flight of the Valkyries. He was basically just using Flight of the Valkyries. 
It was kind of cool, other than Michael Cole calling him a nerd the entire match, which annoyed me. But that's the way it is because that was the that was prime Michael Cole and coal miners and heel and shenanigans and the that, Miz being his I best friend. Miss. Yes. So we had Daniel Bryan. Then we had Sin Cara. Yes, I'm actually going to praise Sin Cara on this podcast because this was good Sin Cara. This was before the animated GIF of non-ending botch Cara things that were said about Sin Cara for pretty much the majority of his career. Uh, this was Sheamus's first Money in the Bank match, which we'll get to Sheamus in a second. This was also Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, and Wade Barrett. Those three guys were part of a group called Nexus. Actually, Daniel Bryan was also part of that group, but everybody forgets that because he choked out Justin Roberts, got fired, and came back as a babyface and helped John Cena's team win at SummerSlam, even though Nexus's team should have won that year. The point is that the Nexus thing had gone by the wayside. Oh, they and by the way, they became the core right after that. That's what I was just getting to, is that they became the core in which it was those three and a man named Ezekiel Jackson. Fun fact, the last ever ECW World Heavyweight Champion, Ezekiel Jackson, not mm. Christian. Yes, so, yes, he wanted to dominate people. So this was the, uh, this was essentially the breakup, or it was near the end of the core experiment. Yes, spelled C-O-R-R-E, so they could trademark it. It's a lot WWE. The point is that those three guys were still big-time players. They had been coming off the Nexus. They had been the core. They were a group on SmackDown of young guys they wanted to push. So you had all of that in the mix, of course, including Kane and Cody Rhodes. You had all those guys in the mix, and guess what? They had nothing to lose. And that's what makes this match, to me, such a standout. Because... You have all these great characters that are all kind of building up to this moment of, okay, as individuals, they've built themselves up to make this match successful. But in a match like this, especially when you add two more people than the match we just had talked about before, so in the first match there were only six people, now you add two more people, that's a lot more stuff going on. That's a lot more planning. So now you're taking eight separate individuals with all their talent, skills, and everything else, it takes a lot to plan out a match like that. Everybody thinks the Royal Rumble is just hosh posh, 30 guys, all this stuff. No, there's a lot of planning that goes into those things. And so in a ladder match like this, especially, again, you've got six brand new guys. There's a world heavyweight title shot on the line. Again, this was another match to me. I was like, I don't know if I can pick a winner. Now, there were favorites. Wade Barrett was super over. Sheamus was super over. Kane was at the point where he had won the ladder match the previous year. So there was that. The Cody Rhodes character was still pretty strong. You had Sin Cara, who, had, who was still kind of a fan favorite. You had Gabriel and Slater, who were a little lesser on the card, but they were there. You had all these crucial elements to a match in which, as a fan, again, I take this as a theme, I never was bored during this match and what i mean by that is it's not that i need constant stuff going on it's oh at this part in the match i get to see this action happen but then at the same time i'm also looking forward to oh there's two extra guys in the ring so there's all this fighting going on and there's all these different storylines that are kind of converging you have the slater and gabriel and barrett storyline you have the sick bump from sheamus and sincara which actually legitimately injured sincara 
You had who was coming off of being the winner from last year. You had you had Daniel Bryan who was basically being booked and being portrayed as oh yeah this guy that got uh, you know that just got completely forgotten and he's just this big nerd character who knows how to wrestle, which is a weird way to book Daniel Bryan. The entire point is that throughout this match, simultaneous storylines were coming together. Unlike in the first match where it was like, okay, we've got these separate storylines. They're all going for one thing, but they're all kind of separate. This one was, we've got a bunch of simultaneous storylines that all kind of mesh. And I never felt like anything was rushed. I never felt like anything was really botched. I never really felt like this match dragged. Because this match did go for 25 minutes. I never felt as if I was sitting there going, oh yeah, so I'm just waiting for a finish. It, it kept me on the edge of my seat, and that helps when you have a bunch of guys that you don't really know what's going to happen. It kept the intrigue. It kept the suspense. It kept me involved because SmackDown was going to be different. It was the wrestler show again, and you had all these guys that were hungry and building themselves up. And I probably repeated myself, and I'm sorry. I'm just excited that I got to watch this match again because Daniel Bryan came out on top, and I wanted to cheer, and I wanted to just come through this match. And by the way, I ended up watching both Money in the Bank 2011 again. That's that's probably why I was so excited, because that pay-per-view was so great in general. But to start off this pay-per-view with this match, with that finish, to lead up to the rest of the event, it was tremendous. I will say this. Um, I hadn't watched the Money in the Bank ladder match from Smack, the SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match from 2011 in a long time. And uh, I was happily surprised that it was as good as i remember it because i'm actually going to say something about the 2016 match when you get when we get to it in a second but i was pleasantly surprised that oh man this this um what's the what's the phrase it stood the test of time to the, the the money in the bank ladder match from 2005 the, the wrestlemania 21 match stood the test of time and so did this one and um it was great um, the last five minutes of this match, um, where really it's it's Wade Barrett, Daniel Bryan, and Cody Rhodes battling, bat, not really the f- last five minutes. Let me, that's that's too big. I, I'd say the last two minutes. Let's say the last two minutes of this match, when those three guys are the are the three dudes left that are fighting over the briefcase, and uh, the crowd. Uh, first of all, Ross, um, and I don't want to give the, too much credit to this crowd, but I I will in this particular instance. When I tell you that the Chicago crowd at Money in the Bank 2011 was one of the greatest crowds in a professional wrestling setting ever, I'm not joking. Like, Chicago, the Allstate Arena, or Peoria, Illinois, excuse me, if you will, that that place was popping on that Sunday night. It was ridiculous. Like, And the funny thing was that if you thought they were loud for the Money in the Bank ladder matches, dear God, did you have something else coming to you for the main event. It was insanity, right? Um, but I have to give credit where credit is due because, you know, you, you knew that WrestleMania's crowd was going to be super hyped because it's a WrestleMania crowd. They're always hyped, but this was legit Chicagoans being at the Allstate arena and just being on fire that, and it really fueled up the guys that were in that ring and you could tell. And, um, I wanted to make sure to mention that because I, I, I do genuinely think that it lends into the atmosphere 
of that match. That being said, the last two minutes of, of this match where you see Daniel Bryan struggling with Wade Barrett and struggling with Cody Rhodes, um, it really is truly mesmerizing to watch because, first of all, nine years later and you see the greatness that is Daniel Bryan and nine years later you see the greatness that's the American Nightmare Cody over in All Elite Wrestling and you think to yourself, damn, nine years ago they were young bucks in the WWE. And now you see them being like absolute studs, one in the WWE and the other one in AEW. And you, you know, you got a chance to witness the greatness that they were back when they were when they were much younger, when they were when Daniel Bryan was still a guy from ROH and from all these other Nindy promotions that people thought that, oh, he's just a nerd and he I, looks like he could wrestle, but he's like five foot ten and weighs barely over 200 first of all shut your mouths daniel bryan first of all is a good looking son of a gun if you haven't seen him in real life and you see him in real life it's actually a really good looking guy i would know i've seen him in real life concierge. and i we got you <laughs> front desk supervisor yeah, you in your concierge days whatever mm-hmm. um anywho um that's just daniel bryan and cody rhodes Obviously, Wade Barrett, who was probably the top heel in the entire match by far, because he was probably the top one of the top heels not named Christian on SmackDown during 2011. Um, and then, so so let me just let me just let me just piggyback off of that, really please, quick because I have to make this other point about SmackDown. Okay, SmackDown. Okay, this match at no point did I see the individual characters get sacrificed for this match and what i mean by that is this smackdown at this point did such a great job in making sure that their individual character development was spot on from top to bottom you still had kane the veteran monster you had cody rhodes doing his bag with the mask thing you had wade barrett as this confident heel who was still trying to lead all these guys but it was falling apart so he was trying to still be by the way, this was also pre-Wade Bullhammer, so he was still doing the weird wasteland finish. Yeah. But you had you had the identity of Daniel Bryan before he became the mega superstar that he is. And you had Sin Cara, who was who was again tapping into that market and being the high flyer that that match needed. Of course, he was taken out early in the match. But at no point did I see even even guys lower on the totem pole like Justin Gabriel and Heath Slater who Gabriel through a litany of injuries and then got out of the business and Slater who just got who just got released from WWE and was turned into basically a comedy act those two guys were still serious players and were still having their identity being really formed on the Smackdown brand and so this match to me was the ultimate opportunity for Smackdown to showcase itself as trying to be as close to the A-show as they could be. Of course, SmackDown's never going to be the A-show as long as Raw is still emphasizing and is still considered the longest episodic show ever. And I mean, it's it's going to be Monday Night Raw. That's that's Vince's baby. Plus, he can also say that Raw was the show that basically made him the king of wrestling. And so, as close as they could get to that son of SmackDown's the show. And by the way, SmackDown's gotten close a couple of times. SmackDown's uh, close right now. Well, what I'm saying is that there was a time where SmackDown was the premier show, even though it wasn't positioned that way, just based on talent and booking. 2002 through 2005 was absolutely the the precipice of that moment. 
like I said, this match, top to bottom, was about as good as it gets from, again, another match where every guy had something to prove. Every guy had an identity. Every guy sacrificed for the match, but was not sacrificed because of the match. Does that make sense? Yes. So Absolutely. In instance, you can go into a match and say, oh, well, I've got this great character, but I sacrificed myself to help this story progress. I never really felt that in this match because I always felt like, even though there were certain guys that I knew had a better shot of winning, because in the first match I was like, oh, I'd forgotten that Edge actually won the first match, and a lot of these guys could have won the match. Right. In this match, you're thinking, okay, you know, a couple of these guys probably have a better shot, but at no point was I like, oh, well, this guy's in this match only to help this guy get over. I never felt that way, even with guys like the Heath Slaters, the Justin Gabriels, and the Sin Caras of the match. And that's what puts it over the top for me as just a complete enjoyment of the entire experience that was that match and, of course, encapsulated into the back of that pay-per-view. Absolutely. Before we move on to the 2016 match, there's two things that I want to discuss about the 2011 match. I really want to just discuss and give a moment of my time to Sin Cara because, honestly, the opening, what, like five minutes – he really tore the house down, and I had forgotten yeah. about that. And it was really good. Like, and it was so crisp and so clean. And the crowd actually got really behind him, and they were really appreciating the high flying that he was putting out. And by the way, he wasn't the only high flyer in this match. You had Justin Gabriel, who's hits a 450 splash better than a lot of guys can, and that's just a fact. His 450 splash on Kane later on in the match was fire but Sin Cara really really stole the show in the opening five minutes and I think he's got to be commended for that and I want to talk about honestly one if not one of the best spots in money in the bank ladder match history which is the powerbomb from hell like that's the only best that's the best way to describe that powerbomb like legit one of the sickest, coolest power bombs, which is unfortunate because, of course, he did get injured. And, you know, I'm not making fun of that. But let's just pretend for a second that Sin Cara was fine. <laughs> let's just pretend for a moment and just talk about it was dope. Like, it was it was beyond dope. It was the monstrosity being shown of Sheamus and then Sin Cara saying – because you can tell – Sin Cara was egging him on in the sense of like, go, 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 go. I'm ready for this. And it was just a complete backfire of like, oh, crap, I'm dead. <laughs> and it was – and it sucks. Uh, because I, But the good thing is that Sin Cara obviously recovered and he's fine and he's not dead. Um, but for a second, you thought he was. For a second, you legit thought he was. But that powerbomb is uh, – will, will stand the test of time. It, it, it truly, truly oh, no. will. Because I think that's the mo- I think it was at that exact moment because it was maybe like a month later that Sheamus turned babyface. Sheamus was technically still a heel in this match. He was just getting face reactions or at least starting to like there was more of the crowd that was more pro Sheamus than they were anti Sheamus at this time. And it was maybe two or three months later he went full babyface and he was babyface all the way through the Royal Rumble all the way up until. WrestleMania when the crowd got mad because they booked a 20-second match between him and Daniel Bryan and they got not mad at him because a month later him and Daniel Bryan 
arguably may have stolen the show at Extreme Rules in that fantastic two out of three falls match for the World Heavyweight Championship, which is an absolute underrated gem that I highly suggest you rewatch on the WWE Network because it's really... If you thought the Extreme Rules match between Jericho and Punk and the, excuse me, the street fight between Jericho and Punk and the Extreme Rules match between John Cena and Brock Lesnar are good, Rewatch that two out of three falls match because that two out of three falls match deserves your attention and your time just as much as the other two main events do. Rewind back, my point was Sheamus was super over and I genuinely think that that powerbomb is what got Sheamus the babyface run and the world heavyweight championship run that he enjoyed the very next year. I, ge- I genuinely think that because it was so good and it popped the crowd so much. And for the remainder of the of the match, people were essentially cheering Sheamus on, like he was uh, he was a battering ram that would run through you and sh- and bro kick your head off for just. The, the giggles of it and the whole crowd was eating it up in Chicago. And this is not one of those times of, oh, it's because Chicago loves to cheer the heels. No, no, no. They were just very much appreciative of the performance that Sheamus put on in the Money in the Bank ladder match that year. I, I remember watching this match and telling myself, and this will be the last point I make, and that is that just imagine a world where Daniel Bryan, Sheamus, along with Cody Rhodes and Wade Barrett would be the foundation of a brand. Just imagine the possibilities that could have come from that and think of how after this match, realistically, even though Cody Rhodes had a couple of different incarnations and Wade Barrett had a couple of incarnations, I mean, we got Sheamus and Daniel Bryan being in a world title match at that WrestleMania coming out of this and the other two guys being big parts of their show but at the same time I look back on this match and I just go man if only if only those four could have been just a just a ma- and, and and this and this I thought was going to be a great launching point for those four I mean obviously Kane's there and all the other guys in the match are there and I'm not saying that they didn't fill their purpose but I look back on that and go, damn, after that match, I was like, I could see myself building a brand around those four guys and being totally happy with it. It's Absolutely. Just, it, so, so just looking back on it, it was just fun to go watch that and see the different characters that were around back then. And again, something else, when you have, you know, we talk all the time about the identity of certain characters when it comes to music and entrances and movesets. And it just, to me, it just, it just fit that time period so great and i was so glad to be able to watch it again and reconfirm my stance that this is one of the best money in the bank ladder matches that wwe has ever done right as we move on to our last entry in our trio we had a little bit of a i won't call it a dispute but essentially we had a couple of different ideas when it came to the third match and realistically it came down to two matches it came down to the 2016 Money in the Bank match, which there was only one because that was back when we had the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, so there was only one match. And then it came down to the one that Seth Rollins won, which was... 2014. Again, I'm just going off the top of my head. That was 2014. And the, my argument for 2016 over 2014 was simply because, to me, even though the 2014 match does have its place 
I will always remember the journey of Seth Rollins with the briefcase more than the match itself. Now, I realize that that's unfair because Seth Rollins held the briefcase for months, and in 2016, Dean Ambrose cashed in 30 minutes later. So we didn't have the journey. But to me, that journey was told and needed to be told that night. So for me, Seth Rollins cashing in at WrestleMania 31 in the middle of the Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match and him walking out the champion, that was the culmination of going, oh, yeah, back like eight months ago, that's why they did that. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's not that it takes away from the match. It's just if you're making me pick the best matches, especially if they're close, between 2014 and 2016, 2016, to me is the better match. That's me. And when J-Man and I were talking about it, we agreed. Yes. So 2016, Money in the Bank, was a match which was in the semi-main, which it needed to be because on this card you had, of course, AJ Styles and John Cena. You had uh, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. I believe that was the fatal four-way with New Day, Enzo and Cass. At the time, they were just Gallows and Anderson, but I'm just going to call them the club. And yes, the Vaude Villains. Oh, the Vaude Villains were, were, they were, they were dope in 2016. Let me be honest with you. I love the Vaude oh. Villains. Aiden English oh. and Simon, Simon Gotch, fire. Yes. Uh, that was before Aiden English did his singing gimmick. And actually, uh, I actually thoroughly enjoyed Aiden English after that. And he was doing a pretty good job on commentary. He really was. I, I hope he gets rehired when this, when this is all over. I have a feeling that he might be one of the ones that is. Because he was really doing so, a great job on 205 Live. So 2016, this was Dean Ambrose, Alberto Del Rio, Cesaro, Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. And let me tell you this, because this was the most recent of the three matches that we watched. It is stunning, and I use that word not lightly. It is stunning how far all of these characters, or most of these characters, have changed their trajectories in four short years. Mm -hmm. because, because if you look at all the guys, okay, first of all, the guy that won the match, Dean Ambrose, is no longer with the company, and he's currently the world champion of their direct competitors right now. There's another guy in the match, I don't know if you've heard of him, Chris Jericho, who decided, oh yeah, I'm going to go to New Japan, completely reinvent myself again, prove to the world that I may be the GOAT, come over, and then essentially help start this little company called AEW, or have a very big influence, be their inaugural champion, and essentially help put that company on a roadmap to be a direct competitor. Right. Well, let's and not to mention, put on. the same guy that I put over in 2016, I'm going to re-put him back over just to show you, oh, hey, y'all made a mistake not booking this guy like the real deal he was back in 2016. Guess what? He's the real deal in 2020, and he's destroying you. Carry on. Yes. So let's, let's just separate those two just for a moment mm -hmm. because we know where those two are, and I just have to give them their kudos for where they were, how they got there, how they progressed, and where they are now. Then you put in Alberto Del Rio, who was easily the most hated person in this match, which proves that when Alberto Del Rio was on his game, even though this was the later part of Alberto Del Rio being on his game before all the ridiculous shenanigans that went on, 
ADR could still go. Oh, he heck yeah, he could. Effective with, with everything he did. I wish they never would have gotten rid of the entrance with the cars. That was money. I wish they would have kept that up, but it is what it is. Oh, I've got my... I, I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to have a moment when, when I start talking about this match where I'm going to go off on the greatness that was Albert, Alberto de Rio at this time. Carry on. So... I really wish that they wouldn't have turned Alberto Del Rio babyface because The Miz decided to harass his ring announcer. That was the most random babyface turn of all time. And then there was that last man standing match with the big show. It, it was just a weird... So anyway, ADR, easily the most hated person in this match. First of all, because one, you can't really hate Chris Jericho even when he's a heel. Dean Ambrose was pretty close to being the man at this point. And then let me go on a very slight detour about the next three men that are in this match. <laughs> this was prime, and I do mean prime, Cesaro section mania of this wasn't just like people holding up signs that said the man or people holding up signs that said hugger section. This was people saying, Vince, you will put this guy over because we all love him and you will put him over because he's trying to grab the brass freaking ring and he's one of the most talented freaking wrestlers you have and we're going to will him to actually get you get him to where we need him to be because Cesaro, Antonio Cesaro, the Swiss cyborg is legit and it pisses me off seeing him in 2016 where he was and where he is now. That's the quick aside. Then throw in the fact that this was still when people gave a damn about Sami Zayn because this was Sami Zayn wrestling and being the, you know, effervescent babyface. And then, of course, then let me not forget. Let this, me not forget. Let him know. Let him know because this is my boy. This was prize fighter Kevin Owens. This was this not just was, prize fighter Kevin Owens. This was peak prime Kevin Owens. This was. Two months away from Universal Champion Kevin Owens. This was the this, man. This was the guy that showed up, beat John Cena, and, gen, and then just decided, you know what? I'm just the guy. And I don't care where they put me on the card. Um, I'm a prize fighter. And I'm going to show up and kick your ass. And then talk about your trash and then show up when I need to and do it basically for the people, even though I don't give a damn about the people because everybody loves Sami Zayn. Right. Everybody's going to cheer me because, I don't know, I'm just the guy that just kicks everybody's ass. True. So that's that's just a small glimpse into the talent that's in this ring right here. Again, the last match we just talked about, I get it. Well, there was Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel and Batch Kara and ew, all these <laughs> other people. Let me tell you something. 2016... There, there were, there were no, there were absolutely no signs of weakness. It is a, it is a catastrophe. It is, it is nothing short of pathetic that some of these people on this roster that are in this match are where they are. It is, it is unfathomable where these people are. Now, well, hold on, wait, 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 wait. The disrespect. The disrespect. Exactly. Somehow I channel like this weird Undertaker vibe, and then I want to reference when he was like going on his tirade about not being disrespected, and then that weird fight he had with the APA involving beer and money, and it's all funny. Oh, you look at me like you don't respect me. Well, I'll see you out in the ring. This is before JBL when he was still rich. Uh, 
It's kind of weird, but it was still kind of cool. Anyway, it always reminds me of that when you say that, because that was that gimmick, because Undertaker thought nobody respected him, even though he was just being an idiot. It was hilarious, because that's the Undertaker, and he's awesome. So the point is that this match... <laughs> well, remember also, this is also when uh, Hogan was the uh, undisputed champion, then Taker beat him a month later, and he was dragging him around the backside of his bike. It's Go watch that era. Just... Undertaker's amazing. It's sad that he's really slowed down. If you look at the Undertaker as a career, uh, he's 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 unbelievable. So that was another quick aside. The point is, 2016. This was the night where Seth Rollins was coming to take his title back. Yes. And this was again. This was this was kind of a bold and a risky time for WWE because by the time 2016 rolled down, there was no more Shield, and that was, again, some people thought they broke up too early. Some some people thought it was perfect, but look, when you build three legitimate stars out of one stable and put them over strong for you know what was it a year and a half plus, about two, maybe two, much the better part of two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have so you have a stable of three guys that you've basically put over strong for two years and you broke them up. So now so now you're trying to build them as individuals, right? So Roman Reigns was their guy, Seth Rollins was somebody else's guy over here. Those two were the stars, of course, at the time. And then Dean Ambrose is hanging out here and we're like, Okay, so when's it gonna be Dean's time? And Dean is in a match with all the other people I just mentioned, ADR, Jericho, Zane, Owens, Cesaro, for God's sake. <laughs> just, like, I'm looking at this match going, Dean Ambrose needs to win this match. That's the story of the match. But there's so much good things that are going on in this match. There's, of course, Owens and Zayn, who feuded, you know, forever until the end of time, but not in a good way, because they needed to not be on the same show for more than three months, which they were incapable of for years. I don't know why that was so hard. Then you had Cesaro, who was coming out dressed out like James Bond. It was weird, but we all loved it. All I can tell you is, this was a time in WWE that's very polarizing. Because we had one champion. And for a while, in fact, there were large portions of the time when we had one champion. But the WWE Universe was not happy with who the WWE chose as the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, whether it be Orton or Roman or Brock or any of these other people. So when it got to be or Triple Rollins, H, oh, oh, well, well actually, that's mind. weird. That's funny that I say that though. But Triple H and 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 maybe this is because he's just a legend at this point. Um, but Triple H was getting massive cheers as the as the WWE World Heavyweight Champion for that two month stretch. But that's also because it was against Roman. No, but remember, he got like I'm. I mean, he was getting the correct heel reactions against Dean Ambrose in that roadblock match in Toronto. But let's be real, like I hate, I hate that match, by the way. Which is funny I, because that's I, that's actually I, I, a very well well praised match. But you're you're no, you're, you're no no yeah. no. But here's. Here's why I hate that. Okay, first of all, was that was that was that right before this happened? Yes. Like five months or four months prior, whatever it was. Four and a half okay. months, yeah. That makes me hate it even more because that was the match where I was like, okay, Triple H just screwed over Roman, and he threw Dean Ambrose out to win the WWE World Heavyweight Title. So Dean Ambrose's reward for finishing runner-up in the Rumble was to get a match where. 
Nobody believed he would win. Nobody thought he would be in any position at WrestleMania to really challenge for the title. And I was stuck listening to, your boy, Triple H, bring out another golden shovel to bury Dean Ambrose for another five months before he got his comeuppance and pin Seth Rollins 30 minutes after winning this okay, match. Okay, okay, hold on. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm not going to let you... Wait, wasn't this roadblock end of the line, which is one of the worst-named pay-per-views not named Great Balls of Fire in the history of time? Okay, first of all, roadblock end of the line, that was the 2017 pay-per-view. Or the oh, no, excuse, excuse me, the twenty, the late, the later one that happened later on in the year. So don't you disrespect the pay per view. First of all, second of all, I'm gonna ask you kindly to back the hell up off my boy Triple H, and I'll tell you why. Because it was not Triple H's call to go ahead and not put over Dino. Vince wanted Roman to go over. Okay, that was a Vince call. To me. Dino's performance in that match is what got him the huge slot at WrestleMania against Brock. Okay? His performance, people in the back saw, oh, whoa, Dino can go. Look at that. He just stood toe-to-toe with Triple H. Mind you, I was the guy in 2016 that was saying, listen, I love Roman, but it really should be Triple H versus Dean Ambrose for the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania, not Roman, a- not Roman versus Triple H. And I'm, there's a huge conglomerate of people that would have told you that in 2016. That being said, Triple H was on a tear with good matches. He put on a really good match on Monday Night Raw with Dean Ambrose. His match with Dean Ambrose is a lot better than you're giving it credit for, and I can't believe you're besmirching that match. Can and we can we can we can we just decide that everybody wanted the Shield Triple Threat at that WrestleMania, and instead we got your boy. You couldn't. Yes, of course, of course, you wanted the Shield Triple Threat, but what did you want Seth Rollins to do? Come out in crutches? The man still wasn't cleared. So for those of you who really wanted the Shield Triple Threat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you should have gone to medical school, become Dr. James Andrews, or be better than him and fix Seth Rollins' knee better, and then you would have gotten the match. But because you didn't want to go to medical school and you chose to go to go to ITT Tech, screw you. That's what you get out of all of this is besmirching ITT Tech. <laughs> Maybe maybe people wanted to see Roman Reigns overcome the odds and defeat the Authority, who had long overstayed their welcome five years earlier. Okay, that being said... Yeah, with your boy, Triple H, the main event. Hey, you know so, what? Okay. We're celebrating was, 25 was, years of trips today, all right? We're going to get to that because we're going to tease what we're doing next week with that. But until then, we have pretty much driven off a cliff when it comes <laughs> to talking about this match. Money in the Bank 2016, okay? I'm telling you right now, the theme of this match was can Dean Ambrose grab the briefcase and become another legitimate competitor that he was shown to be not that long before? Was Dino going to take the next step? Not that these other guys, you know, a lot of people thought Kevin Owens was going to take a big step in this match. People, including myself, still believed that there was still a chance, just a chance, just a bit. That Antonio Cesaro was going to, you know, really come up there and really do something. Sami Zayn, Alberto Del Rio, I have to tell you, I really, really liked this match. And I'll tell you why. So, on top of everything else we've said about everybody in the match, right? So, before, I said that there were individual storylines that came together and then one storyline that branched out. Those were the first two matches. This match showcased, okay, we've got... Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who hate each other. Like, legit hate each other, right? 
So you have that storyline. And then at the time, this was not a redemption story for the other guys, but let's be honest. Like, Alberto Del Rio, Cesaro, And, and then Chris, Jer- Chris Jericho and Dean Ambrose had that feud going on go- heading yes, into this did. pay-per-view. So, so, you had, so, so you had Owens and Zayn. You had Jericho and Ambrose. And then you had two guys that had either kind of fallen out of the limelight or were trying to get into the limelight that were there in the match. They weren't really feuding with each other. But, man, I'll tell you what. I was so, so impressed with Antonio Cesaro in this match. Not that that should be any surprise to anybody. And everybody had their time to shine. Um, Alberto Del Rio looked really crisp. And I hadn't seen Alberto Del Rio in a long time. Um, Of course, Chris Jericho is Chris Jericho. Dean Ambrose was super motivated in this match. But more on top of that, the motivation for this match. There are a lot of times where you'll go into a match and you'll see, okay, this guy's job is to make sure that this happens. And it's very evident in the match. So something that I took away from this match was every guy in this match had a goal. I know what you're saying. Well, Ross, their goal is to reach up and grab the briefcase and win the match. You're right. Of course that's the goal. Otherwise, what are we doing? Are we just, you know, hopping around, just hitting each other? No, of course they have a goal. But my, but my point in watching this match I saw every guy say, I'm going into this match, and I've got something to prove to Vince. I've got something to prove to these fans. I've got something to prove to every single guy in this ring. Because I'm telling you right now, this match was still, even though I know it's predetermined, blah, blah, blah. You know what, though? In this match, you know what I saw? I saw guys jockeying for position. And that tells me something. Because that tells me, hey... What we've done up to this point, some parts of it are good, some parts of it are bad, some parts could be better, some parts could be worse. There's always room for improvement. That should be your life goal anyway. You should never feel like you're stagnant or everything's not good enough or that you can't always improve yourself. That's a life lesson. But the point is that in this match, in this match, what I saw was I saw six guys just go completely all out. Cesaro being the complete crowd favorite with the swing. I saw superb athleticism. I saw six guys basically just ball out for this match. And another thing that I want to point out is this, right? The first match, the one at WrestleMania 21, was the shortest of the matches. It only went 15 minutes. The 2011 match for the the SmackDown side went just under 25. And this match went about 21. So the reason I bring that stat up is this. So the 15-minute match, I said everything had a purpose. Everything was boom, boom, boom. It had to be fast. The second one, there were more guys in the match. There were more spots. They had a little more leeway. There was a bigger story being told because of the fact that they were all coming together after being individualized storylines. This is a balance of all of that because you, again, have the two feuds, Jericho and Ambrose, Zayn and Owens, and then the two other guys. And it just was a great balance of execution timing and everything coming together when it came to what this match needed to be had this match gone 25 30 minutes i would have felt like it would have been too long had it only gone 15 minutes i would have said it was too short it was a perfect balance of the other two matches i saw in which we saw elements from the 2011 match of guys needing to prove themselves and elements of the WrestleMania 21 match, 
which saw everybody have a purpose. So to me, it was the perfect balance of both of those matches and why it's an equal entrant onto this list that we have for you on today's show. Um, I was the one that basically said, oh, hey, we should really add the 2016 match. Yours was the 2011 match. And then you and I were like immediately thinking, oh, 21 needs to be on there because, I mean, yes. I rewatched this match and I thought to myself, this was definitely the most, I want to be careful with how I say this, but it was one of the more polarizing um, Money in the Bank ladder matches. And, I'll, and, and the reason I say that is not as a detriment, but because they really did not focus on too many spots in this match. They really focused on the athleticism of the in between, in between the wrestlers, not somebody jumping off a ladder to put somebody through another ladder. There was very few spots compared to the 2011 match, compared to the 2005 match, compared to the 2019 match, which I'm going to get to in a second. Um, and I'm not trying to compare that match. I'm only going to – I just want to talk about it for just a little bit after we're done with this, of course, and Ross knows that. Um, but what I felt about this match is it was really storyline-driven, almost – but but not in the same way as the 2005 match, um, and and you you hit the nail on the head when you talked about ADR's athleticism in this match. It's really uh, I'm not going to say it's not unmatched because that's not true. Cesaro was amazing. Cesaro was amazing. Cesaro's Cesaro in 2016 may have been the best version of Cesaro we've ever seen. And by the way, that's saying a lot considering that 27 and 2018 he was part of the bar. Um, but he was awesome in 2016, and I think that gets lost in the shuffle because of Dino and because of Seth and because of AJ and because of Roman and because of Cena and because of just all these other situations that were going on. Of course, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and Chris Jericho were big parts of 2016 as a whole. Let me just tell you something. We talk about 2013's all-star Money in the Bank ladder match, which was uh, won by, by Randy Orton, and it had CM Punk in that match, and it had RVD in that match, and it hard- 2013 was a stacked ladder match, because it was the it was called the All-Star Ladder Match, but if you look at 2016's, I, 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 I almost feel like it was more star, star power in a way, and not to take anything away from Randy Orton and CM Punk in 2013, because they were really like peak, but 2016... Jericho had reinvented his, himself one more time, which you thought to yourself would not be possible. But hey, guess what? He's the GOAT for a reason. And then you had um, Alberto Del Rio coming back to the company and really, he, he'd been around for, I want to say, was this his third time, third go around with the company or was this still his second go around with the company? It was still his second go. I thought it, I thought it, I thought it was his second. It yeah. was. It, it, he didn't come back three times. He came back twice. He just stayed a lot, lo- a little bit longer than expected. Um, I want to talk about Alberto Del Rio for a moment because, for those of you who don't know, and I'll, and Ross knows this. I'm, I'm Hispanic, obviously, so I have, a, I have a, a sensitive side to the Hispanic wrestlers that come into WWE. I take them seriously because they're representing my heritage and my background, but I also want to see them always get a fair share. And I thought Alberto Del Rio was a guy that on the company side got a very fair share because he was pushed and booked like a like a beast, like an all-star. 
Let's be real, 2011 was Del Rio's year. Like, he was a main eventer from the very beginning. He won the Royal Rumble. He was the opening match at WrestleMania 27 with Edge. He won Money in the Bank. He beat CM Punk at SummerSlam. Like, Del Rio was on top of the world in 2011. And the world kind of came out from under him after 2014. Or after 2013, even though he was a World Heavyweight Champion. Um, But... It was like the crowd kind of turned on him. And so he came back in 2014 and really, I'm not going to say reinvented himself, but really refocused his 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 focus on his in-ring acumen as opposed to his character work in a way. And I know that's kind of, you're not really supposed to do that. You're always supposed to have a 50-50 balance. But Del Rio could get away with it because... He was never the best promo, and his accent was quote-unquote a little bit thicker than most people's and things of that nature. So really what he had to do is do what he could do best, and that was out-wrestle you six out of seven nights out of the week, to be real. And when he came back and he was part of the League of Nations, it was kind of a drag because the League of Nations did not hit the peaks that it was supposed to hit, you know? You had Wade Barrett, and you had Sheamus, and you had Rusev, and you had Del Rio, and it just, even though Sheamus ended up winning the world title, it just, it never got off the ground the way that it was supposed to. So when they broke up, it was breath of fresh air for three of the four individuals, because Wade Barrett left the WWE shortly after, but you know, Sheamus was able to redo his thing, and then he got teamed up with Cesaro, and he became the bar. Rusev all of a sudden became this guy that, he went from a beast to a legit a legitimate great character a legitimate great character and then del rio didn't have a lot going for him but then he remembered oh snap i'm a damn good wrestler and i wanted to go off on him for a second because i got a chance to meet him that same night that i got a chance to meet daniel bryan and aj styles and i know i talk about that constantly on this podcast and i might bore you guys to death but to be honest with you i don't care <laughs> just kidding i'm kidding no but i got a chance to talk to del rio and i've talked about this on the on the podcast on a couple of different occasions um and it, he was just a good guy and he seemed so humbled and so appreciative that he was back in a company where they gave him another chance and they got he got a chance to show, hey, listen, I really can go with a lot of these guys and I'm better than a lot of these guys. And in this match, him and Cesaro proved that. From a wrestling standpoint, there's not a lot of guys who can hang with them in the ring. You know, we talk about the stiffness of Del Rio's style. It worked wonders in this money in the bank ladder match ross like it was it it was this was made for his style not from a point of throwing ladders against one another but basically somebody's hanging off the ladder he's gonna kick you and it's gonna look good he's gonna stomp on you and it's gonna look good hell there was a point he went ahead and hung on to cesaro with an arm breaker at the top of the ladder and it was legit good right And by the way, I'm talking about Del Rio. Del Rio didn't even win this match. Kevin Owens was the star of this match in a lot of ways. He powerbombed Sami Zayn hard off the ladder. And then Sami Zayn dropped Owens with the Mishinoku driver earlier in the match. That was solid. So good. So good. And shout out to Michael Cole for not calling it a power slam or a body slam, but actually calling it a Mishinoku driver because it was a Mishinoku driver. And Chris Jericho, again... 
Chris Jericho doing what he did so great in 2005, he did it again in 2016. And this match, this match was good, really good. It's not great, great, but it's really good. And Dean Ambrose got his competence. He got his moment because that crowd went nuts when he unhooked that briefcase. Um, And it was exactly what the crowd in Vegas wanted to see. Kevin Owens could have won that match and they would have propped and they would have been super happy. And the same thing for Sami Zayn and damn sure the same thing for Cesaro. But it was Dino's moment. And even though everybody got a chance to shine, the other five dudes, and they did, it was beautiful to see Dino finally get a shot at being the main guy. Um, And the 2016 2016 Money in the Bank pay-per-view as a whole is a pay-per-view that I thoroughly, thoroughly hold in high regard because of, obviously, last week we talked AJ Cena. And then also the main event of this match was actually really good. Roman and Seth really went for it. Um, and then you end it with Dino winning the world title at the end of the night. I think Money in the Bank 2016 is going to be one of those pay-per-views that you remember for a really long time for a very good reason. Um, and I think that the 2016 Money in the Bank ladder match has just as much to do with that as AJ Cena and the main event of this of this show. No. So... Uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, I, I thought it was a nice balance to kind of balance out our three matches. And I think that's the overall view uh, that I have of the 2016 match. It was a very balanced, good entry into the Money in the Bank matches. Yes. Now, um, before we go forward with our basically ranking, did we go 3-2-1 last time or did we go 1-2-3 last we time? We went 3-2-1. Okay, that, then then that's what we'll stick with because yeah. I like to uh, I like to keep consistency on this show. I whether agree. It's my, whether it's my analysis or whether how, how how I'm trying to steer the ship, known as the Double Turn Podcast. So, <laughs> so um, I'm actually going to let you go first because I have a feeling I know your order, but I think I may even be pleasantly surprised because um, I will tell you that. Unlike the AJ and Cena feud, Mm -hmm. I think I may have changed my mind on the order. Oh, interesting. I think I did too. Whereas with the AJ Cena feud, I always had Royal Rumble 1, SummerSlam 2, and Money in the Bank 3. Which again, is another reason why we do these things. Because I get to go and re-watch some of these matches I haven't watched in 5, 10 years. Right, right. Some of them. And so when I re-watch them... I think back and go, oh yeah, wow, that's why, that's why I really loved those matches, or that's oh maybe maybe I loved it more then than I did now, or vice versa. So I'm actually going to let you go first sure. just to see what you ranked as your number three of the top three uh, Money in the Bank ladder matches that we just uh, discussed and compared and contrasted. Sure, no problem. Now before I do that, I do want to state that wholeheartedly, and Ross didn't allow me to go ahead and add it onto this show. And for good reason. But I will say that unofficially, but officially, my favorite Money in the Bank ladder match is the one from last year. It it really is. But due to the fact that the last 15, 20 seconds of that match really is absolute trash, I I was asked not to include it. But I did want to mention that if you do have the opportunity to go back to the WWE Network, rewatch the full-on 24 minutes 
that greatness of the 2019 Money in the Bank ladder match, the men's match, and then just pause it as soon as you hear Brock's music come out. And then you're done. Just pause it because so, you don't want to watch the ending. But so, the f- So basically, Jorge wants you to go to a restaurant, have a four-course meal, then decide to not order dessert because if you order dessert, it's going to be foul. Yes. It's going to be smelly. Yes. It's going to just ruin the rest of your meal that you just had. That is correct. That's exactly what I'm telling people to do because the 2019 ladder match, I really mean it. It is it is good. It is I'll say this I said it before, I said it again. I, I when we did our money in the bank review show last year. It is the best ladder match I've ever seen. And some people may agree with me, some people may not, but it was it really deserves some credit and it was ruined by a not great booking decision of Brock Lesnar coming out of nowhere and throwing Mustafa Ali off that ladder. It was really really hurtful to see that. That being said, my number three, Ross, is actually the 2016 Money in the Bank ladder match. Um, I liked it. I I loved it. But I'll be honest with you. I think that it was one of those matches that, as you said, in 2016, I thought it was great. And then I rewatched it. And then I remembered, oh, it's dope. But I've seen doper. And maybe it also has to do with the fact that Jericho's not in WWE anymore. Maybe it's the fact that Dino is not Dino anymore and he's Moxley now and he's in an entirely different company. Maybe it's the fact that Cesaro never got a fair share. Maybe it's the fact that ADR was used and abused and and Paige made him look like a fool and said that he had cocaine on him when he didn't. Um, maybe it's all it's a combination of those things. I think that the great pleasantries that come out of this match is the fact that KO was ma- became a made man like two two months after this, um, and as as did Dino. But I think that overall, I've seen better Money in the Bank ladder matches. I think that this one's still great and it holds its mark up in the top five. But it's not as great as I remember it being in 2016. I will wholeheartedly agree with you and say that 2016 is third on my list. Um, I kind of knew when we picked the three matches that this was going to be third on my list. It's interesting because um, I thought that it was going to be number one on my list. I really did. So and the reason I say that is because um, one of the matches I had I had wholeheartedly remembered being great, and the other one I had to watch again just to remember how great it was. Um for everything we just talked about, the talent in the ring, the stories that were being told, to me, it, again, to me, it's one of the more balanced Money in the Bank matches when it comes to athleticism and it's showcasing the fact that it's a ladder match. Plenty of stunts, but not too many. There was lots of action, but it didn't go overboard. There was lots of, there was lots of you know, nice little set pieces of action. There wasn't too much downtime. The one thing I will say that 2016 has going against it is... It was continuing a small little formula, and I wish WWE wouldn't do this, but it's their formula, and that is they'll have two guys do a spot, they'll have another guy come in and do a spot, then they'll have three guys waiting on the floor waiting to do spots. And there were a couple of times where I was taken out of the match just for a little bit, whereas I didn't have that in the other two matches. That doesn't mean that it was you know this glaring thing that I had to really critique, mm-hmm. but I will say that coming into this match, and just to me, it's so depressing to see how far some of these guys have fallen in four years. That took me out of it too because of how you know how much backing some of these guys really had. 
And again, just how much talent is in this ring. And now, you know, two out of the six guys work for the other team. And our main eventers on the other team. Oh, they are they are tip top main eventers of the other team. And so just to just to kind of see that, it kind of took me a little bit out of it and it firmly ranked it at number three for me. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think that number two. You you may be surprised by this, but I'm just going to just flat out say it. I think WrestleMania 21 is going to be my number two. And the reason for this is, I know, you're surprised. I can see it on your face. I know, I know. Um, 2005, I know, you're looking at me like you're crazy, right? Like, <laughs> listen, the two, the Money in the Bank ladder match, the original one, is damn good. And it, and I think that the great thing, stop doing that. You look weird, okay? <laughs> Um, I think the great thing about the 2005 ladder match is it did hold the test of time 15 years later. That match is 15 years old, people. 15 years old last month. It's It's been a minute since that match happened. And to see the things that it did for people in that match, such as Edge, to see what it did for Chris Jericho, to see what it did for Kane, to see what it did for Christian, to see what it did for for Shelton Benjamin. Um, I'm not going to say what it did and what it didn't do for Chris Benoit because obviously for reasons that we already know. Um, It was great. It was great. Um, The crowd was really appreciative of it. They were appreciative of the concept. Um, I remember Howard Finkel announcing that match and the people got super hyped up when they knew that the money in the bank ladder match was going to happen because they've seen two oh excuse me three great matter great ladder matches at this point in wrestlemania lore which was hbk and razor ramon and then they saw the triangle ladder match at 2000 and then they saw tlc2 at 17 and so they knew what to expect at a wrestlemania ladder match I don't think they knew quite exactly what to expect when six dudes are going against one another as opposed to two versus two versus two. That's There's a little bit of a difference, let's be honest. And it w- and I think that it made it great. Um, again, I said this when we were reviewing it um, earlier this evening that this was very storyline driven. And as much I lo- as I love storyline, I love storyline mixed in with athleticism and I didn't think there was quite as much athleticism in this match as the other match that I'm going to mention. And um, I think that the great thing about the Money in the Bank ladder matches over the last few years is that the matches have been able to evolve. And you don't get that opportunity to see evolutions of a match um, that often. You always see, oh man, but the first one was so good. A ladder match allows you to evolve it allows you to get it allows you to get crazier it allows you to get more innovative and over the past 15 years we've been able to see that such as the 2019 match and such as the 2011 match and so and so many others but i think that its rightful status still belongs as the to me unofficial official number two on the list um i'm curious to know your thoughts so I have to tell you, for everything leading up to this show, I was fully that nothing was going to beat SmackDown 2011 Money in the Bank ladder match for me. Absolutely nothing. But then when we both immediately said the first one has to be on the list, 
because we said that when when this conversation came up. Yep. No doubt, no debate. It was literally you. You said the idea. We both looked at each other and said that match has to be on the list. And I thought in my mind, I'm like, why did that happen? Why is it that we immediately went to that match as being one of the most important best matches in Money in the Bank history in WWE history? And that's why the 2011 match is my number two. The reason, because for all the things I propped up, for as great as the Money in the Bank 2011 pay-per-view was in general, everything I praised about the fact that they tried it with eight competitors instead of six, and six guys were brand new, and to me it was the proving ground of individuality, all for a common goal and making the event a spectacle. It was only the second year that they had done a specific money in the bank pay-per-view match at that event. They kicked ass. They did. And I look back on that match. And again, I say the four guys that could have been and should have been Wade Barrett, Cody Rhodes, Daniel Bryan, and Sheamus. Now I realize that that propelled Daniel Bryan to winning that match he had the memorable cash-in, in which he cashed in on Big Show. And then, of course, we had the weird WrestleMania match against Sheamus, the whole AJ Lee thing. Right, but to and be fair, the 28 match is really what made Daniel Bryan into the superstar that he is today. Because that's when oh, the, the crowd completely saying, turned on that. Yeah. What I'm saying is that that was the first lift for Daniel Bryan. Yes. Because I think a lot of people saw him in Nexus as fish out of water. And the only reason I say that is because he was already a star on the independents. All these other guys were kind of being groomed in the WWE as being the super faction. And then you had kind of the outsider join the group right. in a sense. Right, right. And so the culmination of everything great that I did about this match and everything that just encompassed how just to me how phenomenal this match was with the talent that was in there all the work that was put in and I never felt bored. There was never that part in the show or and it just, it just capped off a great night, but it's only my number two. That's fair. That's fair. You know, it's you, you mentioned something that I'm going to echo for the 2011 match and it being my unofficial official number one is fresh blood, fresh guys, there was a lot of it. fresh there was faces. A lot of it. And I think that's part of the reason why I love the 2019 match so much. Because you had so many fresh guys. I mean, yes, I understand that Balor may have been in, may has been now in WWE for maybe five years. But that was his first... I want to say it was Balor's first ever Money in the Bank ladder match. It was Ali's first ever Money in the Bank ladder match. It was Ricochet's first ever Money in the Bank ladder match. It was Andrade's first. It was McIntyre's first in either a while or his first. It was... Baron Corbin, who won in 2017, but in 2019, he really, really stole the show. Like, him, he went to town on some of these guys that allowed him to take advantage of his size, and he did a great job. Randy Orton was the only guy that was, that was the vet of this match, right? And um, I, I talk about the 2019 match because that's exactly how I feel about the 2011 match. And I think that the 2011 match, because of its authenticity and because of its freshness, because you had guys like Daniel Bryan, Wade Barrett, Sheamus, 
uh, Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel and Cody Rhodes and Sin Cara. And then you add in the fact that Kane brings in this veteran presence and then being able to be the big guy who can fly and then be able to sell for people when he shouldn't be selling, but he is because he's so great. And then you add in one of the greatest powerbomb spots you're ever going to see. And then the fact that Sin Cara actually got five minutes worth of shine in Chicago in prime WWE territory and he actually got a huge reaction because of it and then you add in the fact that that Daniel Bryan went over when nobody in their right mind actually thought WWE was going to put over Daniel Bryan that night it, it it encompasses everything it takes everything that made the 20 the 21 match the original match so great and they did it again with fresh faces and then they were they allowed the the great abilities of these young men um to really shine and they took the 2005 match six years later and said hey how to read how do we redo that match but make it even better and they did that and they accomplished it and you did it in the middle of perhaps the greatest pay-per-view in wwe history and i know i'm a Meltzer hater but i will say this ross the three matches plus the 2019 match are the only ladder matches on Money in the Bank history. Money in the Bank history, please follow, that have received four or more stars. With the highest rated matches being the 16 match, the two, the 21 match, and last year's match. Both of them receiving four and a half stars each. Um, I, I think that it, it speaks well. And by the way, if I'm not... Yeah. I believe that the uh, Money in the Bank 2011 match got 4.25. So there's a reason why we like these matches. And I hate to use Meltzer as the bar, but let's be honest, it's one of the few times that I'm probably going to agree with him. And I think that that deserves to be spoken of in this in this moment. And um, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I, I did want to let you know, the WrestleMania 22 Money in the Bank ladder match is actually the shortest one. It's 12 minutes, Ross. They went 12 minutes, the RVD win. Isn't that crazy? They gave them 12 minutes. What kind of trash is that? No wonder it's the match that people, most people don't like. Amongst a few others, actually, there, there are some Money in the Bank matches. I mean, I'm not a fan of 2019 because of the ending and there are a couple other ones that i'm just like please let me never watch that ever again no i totally understand Uh, that but the reason why the wrestlemania 21 ladder match is number one for me sorry the wrestlemania 21 money in the bank ladder match is number one for me i went back and watched this and i said this crowd has absolutely no idea what they're in for Mm -hmm. this was in hollywood this was the second match on the card. It was a brand new match. If I remember correctly, they had penned in on like Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider right before this match. And they were just like, oh, I'm at WrestleMania. I don't know what's going on. Blah, blah. It was, it was actually very weird. But right. the point is that this was this was a big risk. Sure was. I'm not saying it's like this weird concept match that like could totally just derail a character or a company or something like that. But look, when you try new things in life, in business, in personal, in whatever, there are risks involved. And when they put these six guys in this back, Edge, Jericho, Benoit, Kane, Shelton Benjamin, Christian, 
they put in these six guys and basically said, we realize that you got, I mean, essentially this was still the time period where the guys kind of had to roadmap it themselves. Not everything was pre-produced and really pre-thought of, I mean, obviously the finish and some of the things are planned, obviously, but this was a match to me where 2005, you still got a lot of these guys that are kind of planning things out as they go. They're trying to figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work. And by the way, you're like, okay, let's try this during the match. But then during the match, you kind of on the fly kind of make things work and you're kind of testing things out because you don't really know. It didn't overstay its welcome. It wasn't too short. Everything, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. Everything in that match had a purpose. Okay? I've watched thousands of wrestling matches, pay-per-views, you know, Nitros, Thunders, Raws, Smackdowns, Dynamites, Impacts, you name it, I've watched it. I've watched tens of thousands of matches. This match is on a short list to me, especially in a match with this many people in it, where everything had purpose. There was no wasted movement because they didn't have time to, because they had to, in this little bubble of WrestleMania 21, WrestleMania goes Hollywood, all those commercials with all the, you're talking to me, the whole taxi driver thing. This or th- this was a huge event, and they were trying something at the biggest pay-per-view of the year, and they trusted these six guys to get it done. And again, I say this now for the third time in one minute, everything had a purpose, and I respect the hell out of it, and that's why, to me, even though I adore the 2011 SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match, which Daniel Bryan wins, the one that started it all, the one that set the bar, as I'm pointing to my sideways thumb here for the bar. I miss that tag team. I wish they would come back. At least you'd be doing something with Cesaro. Anyway, the point is that that's why the WrestleMania 21 Money in the Bank ladder match and forever will be, at least for the time being, the best Money in the Bank ladder match for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. That being said, we're going to wrap things up around here. Um, Next week's show, we got another TDT Classic Series because it'll be one week before Money in the Bank, so we still have a little bit of wiggle room with this. Um, For those of you who um, will be listening to us Saturday, and if you're a WWE fan, you're probably watching SmackDown tonight, and SmackDown's going going all in on this super cool thing, 25 years worth of Triple H. Uh, So first of all, from TDT, uh, congratulations to one of the goats. Seriously, Um, it's it. it, Ross is over here giving sarcastic thumbs up, but at the end of the day, he knows Triple H is one of the greatest of all time, and he really is. He's I mean, he's one of the greatest heels ever. Period. Bar none. There is no. He is he is he is one of the best characters in WWE history. Absolutely, and so uh, congratulations on twenty five years worth of uh, of history. Really. And uh, he's even he's an even better booker, to be honest with you. He might be a better booker than he was a wrestler, and damn, that's saying a lot. That being said, I will I will I will, I will never not laugh at chicken chicken Triple H heel like chicken chicken heel Triple H yeah. with his goofy running where he's like 
I gotta come attack you and run in a straight line and be an idiot, but so I was, I'm like the world champion because I'm like the super buff guy. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Like that's the best. I was rewatching a clip on Instagram the other day when he comes out and he's getting announced by Lillian Garcia, and this was when he had lost the title to Chris Benoit. So this was 2004, and she calls him the former world heavyweight champion, and you just see this look <laughs> in his eyes, and he gets so mad, and he runs after her, and she runs out of the ring. It's hysterical. It was so good because you could tell that tr- that character version of Triple H, he was obsessed with being the champion. And I love that. It was so good. So anyways, I'm, t- I'm talking about this because next week we're going to give love and credit to Triple H. But that's not the only person we're giving credit and love to because next Friday it is the 48th birthday of the man, the myth, the legend – the people's champ, The Rock. So what did we do? I'll tell you what we did. We took Rocky and we took Hunter and we said, hey, let's get creative. Let's do our top three Rock versus Triple Triple H matches. And we're going to bring it to you right here on TDT episode 105. And we're going to say, hey, sit down, crank your radio up. Or kink up your phone. Or whatever it is you listen to us on. And just listen to us blabber about the greatness that is Rock versus Triple H. Hold that point. Right. We're dragging and I apologize. I'm going to wrap this show by saying this was another fine installment of the Double Turn Podcast. And TDT's classic series. This is episode two. You can check out last week's episode, which was our debut episode. AJ and Cena in their three matches. Money in the Bank 2016. SummerSlam 2016. Royal Rumble 2017, and all the rest of our great episodes. Uh, This is episode 104, right? Correct. Okay, so you can listen to this one and our other 103 episodes, including the Darth Vader one that we reference every three episodes because we love it. And also there's another one where I scream that Kofi Kingster's not a bit better. That one's awesome too. You can check those out on lots of our different platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, Castbox, mm-hmm. Pocket Cast, Anchor. Did I miss one? I think. Did you say Castbox? You did say Castbox, didn't yeah. you? You yep. got them all. You're you're so good at this at this point. It's Man. ridiculous. It is the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram. It's a great Instagram page. As I'm pointing straight into the camera. Yeah, I'm looking at you, buddy. The, Love you too, brother. The Double Turn Instagram Podcast is uh, it's off the chain. What can I say? Oh, Not man. Bobby Roode style, though. I miss that guy being a main eventer. <laughs> I wish he would still be a main eventer. I'm off the chain. Love that. Anyway, so you can find it there. You can also find it on our Instagram pages. The one and only JMN19 is his. Ross the Real Boss 85. Boss Ross TDT on Twitter, if you so fancy. Our next show actually is our Money in the Bank preview show uh, the week after. Week after week. that, yeah. So we're doing okay. Rock Triple H first. So Rock Triple H classic series next week then we'll have money in the bank preview show and then you can check me out on live tweeting night of money in the bank and then the next week we'll have our review show mm-hmm. of money in the bank and and not too far after that in may we've got another challenge on our hands Jorge, because we've got not one we have two pay-per-views to cover in the month of may because aew as i said is doing double or nothing on may 23rd they moved it from las vegas to daly's place in jacksonville so that is taking place wwe i would presume is also doing a pay-per-view around that time excellent may so that will be another challenge for this show as again we're kind of doing this tdt's classic series while we can before we get this rush of pay-per-views that we're doing for the j-man 
I'm Boss Ross. This has been the Double Turn Podcast, and we will catch you on the flip side. Chicago, L.A., and Vegas are all better crowds than Lafayette, Louisiana. Bye-bye.